swallow your pride There's nowhere to hide What would you decide when it's on the line? If it's do or die, would you compromise? Or would you stand through the storm and roll with the tide? Would you be the one to fight or the one to hide? You can never touch the sky, you don't try to fly Rocky roads, but we stayed unshakable Been through it all and we still unbreakable Today we are joined by writer, actor, director, entrepreneur, and former Navy SEAL, Remy Adelake. Remy's life is detailed in his best-selling memoir, Transformed, a Navy SEAL's unlikely journey from the throne of Africa to the streets of Bronx to defying all odds. His short film, The Unexpected, which he wrote, directed, and he produced, is set to release on September 30th. Uh, he's going to tell the story of human trafficking and organ harvesting based on true events, guys. Everybody needs to listen to this podcast and everybody needs to share this podcast so we can become more aware of this massive issue going on literally right underneath our noses that nobody has enough, um, I don't even know, just... It's hard to look at, guys. It's hard to acknowledge this horrible, horrible, dark, evil issue we have going on. I get that. I get it as a mom, as a parent. It's tough. But people like Remy and what he is doing uh, is so honorable. And I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today to hope to inspire us, enlighten us, and to hopefully equip us. Um, with a little bit more education and knowledge to prepare us to be assets to the real issue that's going on. Um, he uh, he has acting credentials, including Ambulance, Six Underground, he's on the Terminal List, and Transformers The Last Night. His most recent film, The Plane, is set to release in 2023. Uh, you can also see him, he's going to be on, uh, in, on Fox uh, starting January 2023 as a co-host in Special Forces The Ultimate Test. Uh, you can follow Remy and learn everything about what he is doing at Remy Adelake. I'm going to spell that for you. It is R-E-M-I. Remy, uh, and then his last name, Adeleke, it's A-D-E-L-E-K-E. So definitely look him up. And um, I'm really, really excited and and, and so honored to have him on today and to share this podcast and this episode with you guys today. Enjoy. Remy, welcome to the Reborn Podcast. So I want to talk about you. You were born in Nigeria. You lived there yeah. the first five years of your life. You moved yeah. to the States. And now what I'm really interested in, what's really uh, what I want to talk about today is you have a, a short film coming out about human trafficking and the harvesting of organs. Yes, yes. So can you give can you give the listeners kind of like a highlight reel of of being in Nigeria, how you got to the states, and yeah. then and then let's just start from there. Being in Nigeria, how did you get to the states? Okay, well, so my dad, my story actually starts with my dad. My dad was a well known Nigerian engineer, philanthropist, entrepreneur, businessman. You name it, he did it, and he had amassed a lot of wealth his various businesses. So when I came around in uh, 1982, I was essentially born into to riches and wealth and prestige and all of that. And uh, to make a long story short, there's a lot more to the story, but just to give you the highlights, um, the Nigerian government ended up stripping my dad of his most valuable assets. And uh, he died days later. And when that happened, we went from extremely rich 
to, to having nothing, like zero. And my mom was American, so she had no um, uh, plans of keeping us in Africa. So she permanently relocated us from, from um, Nigeria to the Bronx. And that was the environment that I grew up in. It was a really, really tough environment. A lot of crime, uh, drugs. Um, I remember going into the local uh, stores when I was a kid and seeing the mafia guys in their Italian suits with the big collars going in and collecting the tax. Um, it was just, it was, it was rough. And not having a father when I was uh, that age, you know, I was five, I got there, got to the States when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, as I got older, you know, I, I really began to sense a void in my life and, begin to seek out that void mm. and to seek, seek a way to fill that void with a paternal figure. And so I turned to the streets, uh, street life, hip hop culture, rap culture, all of that. And I started out stealing from my mom and then that progressed to um, stealing from stores that progressed to stealing from jobs that progressed to selling drugs. And then mm. that progressed to running high level scams. And by the time I was 19, I had built this massive illegal enterprise where I was just, you know, I was, I was not only, bringing in this money, but I was funneling that money through a record company that I had, I had started. Actually, I keep this as a reminder on my desk every day. This was the record company, Wonder. And wow. uh, I, I uh, you know, started this record company, funded it completely with illegal money. And it all came crashing down, though, in uh, uh, December 2001. I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer who went bad. I sold them some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time. Those products products only lasted for a fraction of that time. And he came knocking on my door. Not only was my life threatened, but my mother's life threat was, was threatened as well. And along with that, there were people who were going to federal prison for what I was doing. Mm. Uh, and so that's kind of where I decided I'm going to stop this life for a bit. And, uh, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm gonna, I'm, I can't do this anymore. So how do you go from being on the streets in the Bronx? I mean, you're basically a felon that just hasn't got caught yet, right? You know, you do the same thing that you're not supposed to do over and over again, you're eventually going to get caught. So how do you go How do you go from, from being this, this man on the street and funneling illegals and doing all this stuff to being a Navy SEAL? Yeah, yeah. How does that even happen? Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, I, I ask myself that question sometimes, too. Um, you know, after six months of, you know, not doing anything, I felt this call. It was June of 2002. I, I felt this call uh, to join the military, you know, and I didn't, you know, I know it wasn't my idea because growing up in the, in the military, growing up in the Bronx, I hated the police. Yeah associated anybody in a uniform as a police officer, whether you were Navy, Marine Corps, Army, EMT, firefighter. So when this, and I hate to say I did because it sounds kind of contradictory, but when this voice spoke to me, which I truly believe it wasn't my voice and said, you need to get out of here, you need to join the military. It was contrary to everything that I was. I like mm. my clothes back, my hats backwards. I still wear my hats backwards. I was allergic to authority. I was allergic to structure and order. And I just didn't want to do it. I hated the government. But as I looked around the room that I grew up in, I realized that, you know, Remy, your life has amounted to absolutely nothing. You're 19, about to turn 20. You, everything that you've tried to do your way hasn't panned out. What else do you have to lose? And so I got dressed, ran down the street. I grew up on Fordham Road and went to first the Marine Corps recruiter's office. 
And I sat there for 15 minutes and there was nobody uh, in there. There was coffee on the desk, but nobody came in. So I got up and went two doors down to the Navy recruiter's office. Mm. And I was presented with this beautiful Puerto Rican Navy recruiter by the name of Tiana Nadine Reyes. And uh, she asked me, what was I doing? And I'm here trying to Rico Swaberg because I'm thinking not only am I going to get a Navy, but I found me my next girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, she was from the Bronx. So she had that snappy Bronx attitude, but she dealt with a lot of fools like me in the past. So she knew how to play the game. And she asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I want to be a SEAL. And I said, yeah. No, I didn't say I wanted to be a SEAL. I said, I'm going to be a SEAL. Uh-huh. You know, just, even though I was totally unqualified in every aspect of my life to be a SEAL. And uh, and she said, all right, Mr. SEAL, how about you go take the practice ASVAP test? So there was a computer desk in the corner and there was a practice ASVAP test loaded up on it. So I went and did that. I passed high enough to get in the Navy, but I didn't score high enough to get in the buds. So that was totally, you know, uh, out of the question there. And then the next thing she did was she ran my background. And when she ran my background, she discovered I had two warrants out for my arrest. I had a warrant in New York and a warrant in New Jersey. And I got up and I got ready to run out of the office. And right before I got to the door, she screamed at me and said, stop. And I said, for what? She said, there's nothing out there for you. And I'm thinking that she's going to call the cops. Uh-huh. She had me arrested. And so I'm really trepidatious at this point. And uh, she asked me, do you have a suit? I said, no. She asked me if I had a collar shirt and some nice pants. I said, I'm sure I can find something. And then she said, you know, come back tomorrow. I said, for what? And she screamed at me and said, just come back tomorrow, Okay. And, you know, growing up in the streets of the Bronx, you have to learn how to read people. I learned how to read people, you know, especially in the lifestyle I was in, you know, selling drugs, running the streets, doing all these deals. And it it can mean the difference between life or death, how well you're able to read people. And so, you know, what I was able to read from my interaction from her was that whatever it is that she was going to do for me, it was going to be good. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know she was going to go. I didn't know what she was going to do. I just sensed that she was going to do something good for me. And so I came back the next day and she was in her dress uniform and she had her medals on and everything. She took me to both judges. She took me to the judge in New York and the judge in New Jersey. And she said, hey, this kid's made mistakes, but he has potential. You know, 9-11 had just taken place nine months earlier. So she was like, hey, this kid is trying to join the military after the war. And both judges unanimously expunged my record. They said, if this kid's serious about turning his life around, yeah, we'll give him this opportunity. And uh, and then she went a step further and fudged the paperwork to sneak me into the Navy. And that was kind of how it all started. And she died two years later. She died. Of, yeah, she died of a super rare autoimmune disease two years later. So. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I'll never forget that decision because it changed the trajectory of my life. And uh, I'm close with her family now. I'm close with her daughter and her, her brother and her mother and father. They've become like second parents to me. Wow. But yeah, that, that's kind of, that was the beginning steps of me getting into the Navy. Dang. I, I'm pretty sure, Remy, if we just stopped there on your story, I think already you have inspired and like, what's next? I mean, you, ha- you have this film coming out. How did you get into like the human trafficking and, and the, the organ harvesting? I think I never heard, I've never heard of, of organ harvesting. And so I think that this is a topic that obviously is not being covered. And I want to, I want to talk about that, you know, so you, you're in the film industry now, you, did you write, you're producing and everything, this short film. So let's talk about that. 
Yeah, no, 100%. So when I got out of the Navy in 2016, I still felt this call to like serve. I didn't know in what capacity, but I knew I wanted to serve mm-hmm. in some way. And I tried different things. Like I went to prisons and spoke to guys in prisons. And sometimes I would just sit with guys in prison. It was a, it was a crazy experience. And then I worked with a few nonprofits here in San Diego where, you know, I went to inner city schools. And, and then one thing that just became a reoccurring theme was human trafficking. You know, um, there's a nonprofit called Without Permission that found me online and heard my story and asked me to come up to Sacramento to help with some stuff that they were doing. So I did that one year. And then like a year or two later, um, Lindsay, uh, I believe her last name Snyder. She's the, she's the owner of In-N-Out Burger. She has a human trafficking nonprofit called Slave to Nothing. So she mm-hmm. reached out to me. It's like, hey, can you help out with this celebrity bowling game? So I went there and did that. And just things just kept popping up. And then one day I got approached by, the, by another human trafficking organization, uh, a well-known one. And they employed former SEALs and CAG and, and uh, other special forces guys along with agency guys to go down into South America and other countries to rescue people trapped in human trafficking, sex, slavery, and organ harvesting. And uh, as soon as I saw the video, I was like, I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm all in. Definitely up my alley. What is and, it? What was the name uh, of that company or the foundation? The name of the foundation is OUR. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I actually, I've been online at OUR. I've actually, I've taken their, uh, like there's something with, with human trafficking, especially with children that I'm extremely drawn to, which is why I really wanted to talk to you today. Cause I've been, I, I am aware of OUR and what they do. And I've, I've been on their website and I've taken their tests so I can make sure that I can be aware if there's any human trafficking around me going on. I think that everybody should, should be aware of this. So, um, Uh, yeah, they're doing great things too. So, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, they're doing great work. Another one that I work with now is Lantern Rescue. They're awesome uh, as well on par with where you are. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I went down to, just to make a long story short, I ended up doing a, a, a like a jump with them is what they call it down to um, Dominican Republic and Haiti. And while I was down there, we were in this slum, this particular slum where the parents would sell their daughters to the northern part of DR to traffickers in the northern part. And the traffickers would traffic their daughters to the northern part of DR and guys from Europe, other Western countries would come and have sex with underage girls. And um, as I was walking down the slum, this guy who was our liaison, he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, I want to help you to understand why some of these, because I couldn't grasp that concept. I'm a father of four kids. I couldn't grasp selling any of my kids for anything. And he pulled me into this chapel and there was a, a, a dead baby in the casket at the end of the chapel. The baby was about six months old. And um, he explained to me that the mother's milk had dried up because she wasn't getting enough, getting enough sustenance. And so she was able to get some formula. She mixed the formula with the local water. And uh. that's what the baby. And a lot of the kids die in this particular slum because of the, you know, the water. And so the parents have to make a choice. Yeah. Do I sell my daughters to the north and then so the rest of my kids can have food and water and the things they need? Mm-hmm. Or do all my kids die? And, you know, like that was heart-wrenching for me. And then, of course, with the other stuff I saw down there, it was really heart-wrenching. And when I got back from that trip, uh, I had a, a bunch of voicemails uh, from Michael Bay's producing partner, Mike Case, because, you know, I had worked as a consultant on film and TV shows. And so he reached out to me. He's like, hey, Michael Bay's looking for you to work on a Netflix film called Six Underground. And are you available? And in that moment, it was like, 
two worlds collide. Wow. You know, here I am, you know, working in the film and TV industry, writing, you know, consulting, producing, you know, getting on the road to directing, but then partnering with this human trafficking nonprofit. And so I said, well, how can I converge these two worlds? Because, you know, when we're overseas, we work with uh, what we call PSYOPs people. And they, you know, they play a role in winning the hearts and the minds, whether it's handing out food or pamphlets to show the neighborhood, hey, like we're here for a good reason. Right. And so I really felt like we need a PSYOPs operation and, and educate the world in a way through human trafficking, through film and TV to let them know that this stuff is real and it goes on. And so that was kind of how the whole idea began to come around. I wanted to merge those two worlds. And uh, uh, yeah, I started out, I wrote a treatment for a TV series and nobody in Hollywood wanted it because uh, they all said, hey, it's too dark. But I was just like, well, there's a bunch of horror movies and TV right. shows. Well, why, do you, why do you think this topic isn't covered? Why do you think it's not covered as it should be? Do you think it's because like we just like to turn our heads and act like that it's not happening because it is so hard to look at? What, like, I, think what's, I think, I think, I think when people are, people don't like being confronted with truth. Yeah. A hard and truth, it, a hard truth and a reality of what's going on in our world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of it, but, but the reality is, I think there are more people open to learning about this atrocity than we think, you know, at the same time, but you know, Hollywood is about making money. And I think in their minds, it's just like, oh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to make any money off this. And so that's essentially um, uh, where, where, why I think it is what it is. This episode of Reborn is brought to you by BetterHelp, a really cool and convenient platform for online professional therapy. Look, guys, I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but I know in the past I have gotten so stuck just focusing on a problem um, instead of the solution, right? When we're hit with life's obstacles and I mean, there's been a lot of changes that have happened over the last two years, right? Like that's just facts. And I have had to do a lot of quote unquote problem solving um, not only just like in my personal life of things changing with kids' schools, the stress of that, are they in, are they out, do we switch schools, public, private, um, but also changing the business, like how business operates and, and the challenges of, of the problems that come up. Look, I know that it, it can be tough to train your brain to stay in the problem-solving mode when you're faced with a challenge in life. But when you learn to learn how to find your own solutions to not just get stuck in like, I'm just solving like a problem, the same problem, it's because you're not changing the solution. You have to, you have to find your own solution to be able to solve that. There's really no better feeling. And with better help, a therapist is actually available to help you to become a better problem solver, making it easier for you to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small. And look, guys, I, I want everybody to know here that um, if if you need to unload stress, if you, if you need healing, um, if, if, if this can help with anxiety or depression, talk to somebody, talk to somebody. And these programs like BetterHelp is an online platform that is so convenient for you. 
Um, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, it's affordable, and it's all online. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out just a brief survey. Survey, And if you don't like the therapist that they matched you with, you can switch at any time. Um, so if you guys want to be better problem solvers and, and really start finding solutions, therapy can help you get there. Visit betterhelp.com slash reborn today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash reborn. All right, back to the show. Tell me about the organ harvesting. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Um, is it the same? Is it in the same realm as as human trafficking and trafficking children? Is it the, does that also go on? Because I've never heard of organ harvesting. Yes. So human trafficking, and when people hear the term human trafficking, they only think sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. But human trafficking is a blanket term. It covers everything from organ harvesting, which my film. Uh, plays a role on, what uh, touches on. It, it covers labor uh, trafficking. It covers um, forced marriages, you know, as far as girls being sold to other countries for marriage. It also covered, they, there are different forms of trafficking popping up. There was a story out of Cambodia where a guy was, uh, he was from China, came to Cambodia, was captured by a gang, and he was blood trafficked for months. They essentially hooked them up to, <laughs> hooked them up with uh, with food and IVs and kept drawing his blood. And this is a well-known story that was all over the internet. There's drug trafficking where people, kids are used um, uh, to traffic drugs in and out of the United States. Was, I interviewed a guy about um, two weeks ago. I'm going to release his story next week on YouTube. And this guy was trafficked from Venezuela to Colombia and from Colombia to Mexico. Uh, and how he got there was the cartel and other nefarious groups that creating these fake travel agencies and they're sending these messages throughout South America and other parts of the world saying, hey, come here and we'll be able to cross you into the U.S. border. As soon as these people come to this particular place, like this guy who I interviewed, they're, they're captured in prison and the women were sold into sex slavery. The men were sold into, were used for labor and also money. Their family had to send $9,000. Once that $9,000 was received, the guys were killed, and then the kids were used to move drugs into the United States. And then after they did their deed, they were killed. And so there's so many different forms. But again, what I focus on is organ harvesting. Organ harvesting is a big, big thing. As a matter of fact, it's happening all over the world, including you know on our border. Um, uh, Egypt alone, Egypt, Cairo, Egypt specifically is the capital of organ harvesting. Um, India has a big organ harvesting movement. Uh, in Africa, there's a, a lot of organ harvesting going on. We know that down in, in, in Mexico that, you know, people are selling and buying organs on a black market. Um, there's a story out of Costa Rica where an Israeli doctor was a was a broker for kidneys. He essentially moved to Costa Rica and Israelis who needed new kidneys would essentially fly in and he would match those uh, uh, those individuals with poor Costa Ricans who were willing to give up an organ. 
an organ for a certain amount of money. There are different facets as it relates to organ harvesting. You have the people who willingly sell their organs, even though that's still illegal, especially filming all around the world, but they do it out of desperation. Um, there are people who are tricked. There's a story out of India where a woman was, um, she was in a particular caste system, but she was offered a job in New Delhi. She flew to New Delhi and, uh, well, she's flown to New Delhi. She, when she got to her apartment, her employer told her, hey, you have to do a, um, a med checkup tomorrow in order for you to start work. She went to this med checkup. What kept her alive was after she got undressed, she overheard the nurse say to the doctor, this girl is going to give these organs. Oh, my gosh. She got boogied out of the clinic, alerted the police officers, the police, and the police were able to uncover a multi-million dollar organ harvesting ring that had been going on for years. Wow. All the stories that I'm sharing are not like, you know, wise tells or something that's, you know, like people make up. These are all- This is really stories. happening. So, so for the organ harvesting, they, like the person doesn't live through that. They basically, it's a, you die. You die through that and they take your organs. I don't understand these people who are wanting, you know, like, kidneys or livers, how come they can't just do that to go to the doctor and be like, obviously like if you're in kidney failure or something to be like, Hey, I need a kidney. Well, the, well that might, the, that might be a silly question, but I'm just, I, yeah. I don't know about this whole. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually, well, as far as the people who sell it willingly, most of those people who sell it willingly, they're selling a kidney. So right. they're not giving up their heart or anything like that. But uh, that's pretty, that's a pretty easy answer. You know, there are, there's, there are so many people on a planet that will always need an organ. But there's only there's going to always be but so few people who can give an organ, and you know as a matter of fact, four thousand people in America die every year because they they don't make the list to be able to get a kidney. That's just in America, four thousand people die because they're not able to get a kidney in time to survive. So then so, you have the black market where people will do anything to save their loved ones, will do anything to save you know their brother, their sister, their their spouse, and so they're going on the black market and they're they're finding organs. And then they're wow. desperation. What it all boils down to is desperation. And I know like for me, it was hard for me to understand, like, and, 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 and because I'm a healthy person, right? Like I've never had to deal with chronic heart disease or chronic heart issues or heart, chronic kidney issues where like every day was like a gift because I could die at any moment. But there are people who are absolutely desperate and that's their life. You know, I, 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 what helped me to understand this even more recently is I spoke at a funeral um, two about two and a half, three weeks ago for a kid who was in a car accident, 21 years old, and uh, and uh, but he was a donor. And the, and he his heart kept the uh, saved a 25-year-old girl. His lungs saved a, uh, a 27-year-old male. And his kidney saved two other individuals. One of, one of each kidney saved two other individuals. Now, the people that were on the list to get that heart, just one heart, his heart was, that was a long list. Yeah. One person got it, you know? So that just helps put things into perspective as it relates to how desperate people are to live. And when you have people who have the means to pay, they'll find a way to, to get what they need. Um, so. Do you, do you think that, um, I'm, this is totally a thought that came to my mind, but you know, obviously it's our body and we can do what our, what we want with our body. But do you think that putting a process in place to encourage people to donate 
to to make sure that they are on the list. Like if they were to die, if if they lost their life and the, and they're still healthy and they have organs that can help save other people, do you think that should be more of like a mandatory thing or like something that needs to be more attention on? Like, hey guys, like there's people, four thousand people dying because they're not able to get organs. Do you think that would help with the issue, or is it's probably much much greater than that? I don't know. I don't. I think that'll cause more problems. Yeah. Than- than, especially here, specifically here in America, right. Right? I think that caused more problems. But I, I would just say creating a campaign where you know uh, when you go to the DMV, you know, that's where you have yep. to that's where you choose whether to be a donor or not, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like creating a more of a campaign so that people are aware. Hey, here's the benefits of being a donor. If you're not going to survive, here's how your organs can keep people alive. You know, so I think it's more of a campaign versus making it mandatory uh, for people to sign. I have no idea why people wouldn't want to sign up to be donors. Right. Because if you're, if you're gone, you're gone. You're gone. Yeah. You're yeah. Do. So right. uh, I don't know if it's a religious thing for some people or what, but I think a, a, a well-educated campaign and informative campaign would be helpful. Yeah. What is what is the message that you're wanting to get across with a new film that's coming out? Um, the unexpected. What what is what are you wanting? What is the message that you're wanting to get out? A few things. One, I want people to realize that this is real. <laughs> that this happens is so interesting because um, the actors that I hired, you know, they did a lot of research to prepare for their roles and all of them will tell you, we knew about sex trafficking, but we didn't know about this. Right. And most people who I talk to when I, especially when I do these interviews in preparation for the film's release, they all say the same thing. And so the first part of this film is to breed, breed awareness, to, 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 to get people to realize that this actually happens and it happens right under our noses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the first thing. The second uh, reason why I made this film was because I wanted people to also understand how intricate and complex these rings are and how intelligent these guys are. Most people involved in these organ harvesting rings are doctors mm. and nurses. Um, and, and there's a story out of, of, of Egypt as well, where um, there was a, a, a bus, and a, a human tra- trafficking ring was discovered. And out of the 45 people arrested, the majority of them were either doctors or nurses. Wow. And uh, again, millions of dollars were confiscated as well. So, you know, I want people to understand how intricate and complex this is. Also, kind of like what OUR has done on their website, just help people be aware of this. Well, that was the Um, next question that I wanted to ask you. Like, how how can we be more aware of, of this massive problem that's going on and how can people like myself, um, how can we help? Because I, I don't feel like I'm armed to do anything, um, except for the knowledge that I chose to get on, uh, that website and take the test to make sure that I knew, you know, signs and stuff of, to be able to spot a human trafficking victim. But what are some things that you can equip, like the people who are listening to this, um, that we can do to help out and to help your cause and, and everything that you're trying to make better? I would say find nonprofits who are doing the work that you can partner with. You know, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that like to say they're doing the work. They like to, they like to say, present that they're saving people and saving lives, but the reality is they're not. They're just collecting a paycheck. So 
my biggest advice is find uh, an organization that you believe in, that you trust, it's been vetted and partner with them. And it doesn't always have to be financially. It could be, you know, going on a, on a, on a trip, going on a deployment. It could be um, going through their educational course. Um, it could be, you know, serving in their aftercare, which is another, a, a lot of these nonprofits have aftercare um, services. It could be, you know, just being part of your neighborhood watch, mm-hmm. you know, outside and just, just, just being cognizant, you know, like you did taking classes, which helps you become more aware so that you're cognizant of the signs the symptoms. There's a story that just came out um, two days ago. I read this article. This woman was in Walmart and this guy, she was in Walmart with her 12-year-old daughter and she goes into the shoe aisle and she turns and she sees this guy with his cell phone camera pointed at her and he's literally recording her and her daughter. And so he, she pulls out her phone and she records him and then she confronts him. Come to find out, she sent the video to the police officer. They were able to identify. He had just been released from prison. Oh, my uh, gosh. One sex, sex offender, rape, and molestation of underage uh, underage girl. And But again, she and she says that I knew about this because I, I don't know where she got educated, but maybe it was a website, maybe it's because it's been in the news. But she was aware of the signs that she was able to prevent something from uh, bad from happening. And that guy was essentially, I think he was subsequently arrested for violating his parole. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all of those things, you know, it's all of those things. Um, whenever you go on these ops, like I, you said that you went, you did something with ORU, are these civilians that these organizations, um, or these nonprofits are able to train up? And then is it civilians? Um, you're a little bit more equipped than like, you're not a regular civilian since, you know, you, you're a former Navy SEAL, but, um, how, how can, how, is this a great opportunity, especially for a lot of people who are getting out of the military now, they're starting to seek like civilian jobs and stuff. Um, I know a lot of people like in the tactical side that they're starting to, you know, they're wanting to close that chapter because of, you know, they don't agree with something that's going on, politics, whatever. And they're wanting to get into the civilian sector, but still use their assets and their skill sets, but do it for still fighting, fighting yeah. the evil, fighting the devil. Um, can you talk about like that program and how it works or some you know, opportunities out there for people? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I just had a meeting with Lantern Rescue this morning and, and, and a few days ago. So they're fresh in my mind, but they, yes, reach out to Lantern Rescue on their website, submit your resume. They are, they, they do take people with tactical experience on these, on these trips. And, um, I know that the majority of the guys that they've had, had taken have all been former soft guys, but I'm sure that they would be open to other guys. A lot of it too, is you've got to have the right mindset to do this. You can't be a gun ho. I just want to go do a mission. I just want to go crush skulls type guy. You have to be very tempered because you will see things that, you know, can push you over edge. And if you're not able to control your emotions, it can make the situation even worse than it needs to be. So um, look at that. There are nonprofits that do employ guys to go downrange and, 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 and do this kind of work. As far as people who are not in the, who ha- do not have like tactical experience, some of these organizations like OUR, they will use civilians for undercover work. But again, that's like a very, very, they, you have to go through a very strong vetting process. Yeah, I bet. I would make sure, but there's a lot of nonprofits that are that are taking people who are capable, willing, and able to do something. So, hundred percent. I think it's I think it's remarkable um, what you're doing, and everybody needs to be aware and and to be a little bit more vigilant. Um, and we can all do our part and do a little bit better. What is the next? Let's 
let's say, what does the next five years for you look like? Like, what do you have coming up? Like, what projects do you have? Yeah, so I have, um, obviously, I have The Unexpected, which is going to come out September 30th. Um, that short film just got picked up as a feature film with G-Base, which is Gerard Butler's production company. And we are uh, in the process of, uh, of, of hopefully closing on financing, but raising financing now. Um, we went out to a major star, so we're hoping to be in production, if not um, the beginning of next year, kind of like mid-next year. So that's, that's going to be a big full-length full feature film that picks up five years after the events of the short film. But again, it's all authentic and really using the film to educate people on the realities of this atrocity and and, uh, and not just to we focus heavily on the organ harvesting side of things, but we do touch slightly on the sex trafficking side of things. Yeah. Um, so, so that's coming up. Hopefully, you know, I set, I set up that feature film after I wrote that film. At the end of, excuse me, at the end of the film, I kind of lead end on a cliffhanger, which opens up room for a sequel. So hopefully I can do that film. I have a, a, a fiction thriller series that's going to be coming out um, next year called The Chameleon. And so uh, that film is probably going to go into production. We already got a producer attached to produce that film. So I'm hoping I can direct that one as well. And uh, yeah, I got a movie coming out in January. I got a TV show on Fox that's going to come out in January called uh, Special Forces, The Ultimate Test. I got a film called The Plane that I did with Gerard Butler that's going to come out uh, in January. We shot that last year in Puerto Rico. So I got a lot of Wow. Different stuff, but my heart is is being a writer director and using my platform and the skill sets that I've learned, not just in soft, but as a filmmaker to, to to share messages and tell stories and inspire, motivate, and educate people on the realities of this world and, and history as well. Mm. Man, you have you have just so many amazing things. I absolutely love like how you've been given this opportunity, Remy, and you are taking it and you are honoring what has been given to you by the act of good. And and that is just so honorable. And it's been awesome getting to know you uh, through this podcast. I have to ask though, after hearing all of that, how busy you are. And since I'm a fitness guru, how are you keeping up with your fitness through all of this? Are you still training? Because you look, you look incredibly fit. Can you talk about that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I mean, working out training for me is like drinking water. I can't, I don't, I I mean, it's, it's just part of my nature. You know, I, I, I work out every morning. I, I do cardio three to four days a week, but then I, I do, I do a modified, I don't want to call it CrossFit, but like circuit training, which keeps my heart rate up. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I get after it. I try to get after it before I had kids. It was six days a week after kids, it's five days a week. Uh, sometimes I get to sneak in the six day, but yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a good and it's great for my mental health, yeah. you know? And, and, and the crazy thing is too, like, especially when I'm doing cardio, that's where I get so many ideas. I don't know if it has to do with blood flow to the brain, but I get so many creative ideas and ways to films and stories. And this time when I'm on a trip, I got, I'm, I'm typing on it, I pick up my phone because the idea comes to me. But it's, it, I, I, I don't think I can live without, without training. I, yeah. uh, I, I had a shoulder injury from the teams and I went and got PRP in July. And the uh, doctor said, you can't do any upper body for two months. Oh. And uh, I was like, that's why all I did was cardio, just straight cardio. And I was just getting so depressed, like I'm borderline depressed. Yeah. Borderline, borderline depressed because I couldn't do it. So anyway, I, I, I cut I, I cut that short. I uh, worked out after a month, but in my okay. was, it's way better than it was before the PRP. So. That's good. So yeah, um, yeah. where can people find your show at in September? This The, the one that's coming out September 30th, which is uh, 
That's soon. Yeah. yeah where where is it going to be aired at? That's going to, I'm just dropping it on YouTube. So okay. it's just on our YouTube channel, Remy Adeleke. Um, um, people can search either my name or search the unexpected okay. film, which is what, what, what it's going to be listed under. And yeah, it's going to be free to the public. I had an opportunity to sell a short film to a, uh, uh, to a distributor that was going to distribute it online. But I, I just want people to see this. Yeah. For free. How, how long is the film? It's 32 minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, I will definitely be watching. Um, and I, I would definitely love to share that too on my social media, because again, like, and those of you who are listening, the only way that we're going to even make a dent in, in this massive issue that nobody wants to look at is if we, if we get the word out and we make more people, more civilians aware of this massive, like worldwide issue that we have going on. So I just want to say thank you so much, Remy, for coming on the Reborn podcast. It's definitely been a pleasure getting to know you. Um, I'm rooting for you, and I can't wait to see all the things that you have going on. And definitely, like, anything with human trafficking, children. I've done a lot of work over in Haiti. Uh, You need to contact me because I'll be totally game to help you with whatever you're getting into. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Hey, you have a great day. You too, you too. And thank you for letting me use your platform. Let me be a part of your platform for this time so that we could uh, talk about this and get the word out. Absolutely, man. All right, you have a great week. All right, you too. Bye. God bless. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Reborn podcast. What an honor it is to, to have Remy come on. Um, I feel so moved by everything that he is doing. It really wants me to kind of explore that area in my heart that's pulling me to, you know, something with kids and human trafficking and and this real like pandemic issue that's going on. So uh, thank you guys again so much for joining me on the Reborn podcast with Ironclad. I will catch you guys next week. Bye. Swallow your pride. There's nowhere to hide. What would you decide when it's on the line? Just do or die. Would you compromise or would you stand through the storm and roll with the tide? Would you be the one to fight or the one to hide? You can never touch the sky if you don't try to fly. Rocky roads, but we stayed unshakable. Been through it all and we still unbreakable.